have a seat, church. Uh, welcome to NBC if you're uh, new with us. And, and let me just say this uh, about our band. They have had every hurdle you can imagine thrown at them this morning. And they're still standing. Yeah, way to go, Rye. I mean, crazy, crazy amounts of, of just funk uh, this morning. And we'll let that just be par for the course and maybe a great segue into what we're talking about this morning, which is really how to access the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm old enough to uh, remember... Hey, I grew up in, a in the acapella churches of Christ, so instruments, no instruments, whatever. We just break out and have a sing uh, if you needed to. But, but where we're at now uh, and enjoying the, the just the awesome music that we're blessed to be able to experience here at NBC, uh, it takes me back when we have little hiccups like that to when we first started. And, um, you know, having uh, really just an acoustic guitar and, and having to work our way through the birth pains of, of being a young church and and, uh, and everything like that, and not knowing yet at the time how much spiritual juice or electricity was going to be required of us in the years ahead. Um, I got good news for you. Uh, the Apostle Paul has given you the secret to life and peace. He says it explicitly in Romans chapter 8, and he says it is this. To set your mind on the Spirit. Sounds simple. But that's the hardest thing in the world to do when you live in a society that gives you distractions, uh, heresy, uh, just regular old obstacles, things like, um, you know, the sound not working here or there, your gas tank running out of gas prices going up, and, and uh, just whatever else you have to worry about that would pull your gaze away and get you to think about that to get you to plug yourself into an inferior power source, something that really doesn't have a lot of, uh, of juice to it. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really discover the power of the Holy Spirit to the extent, I guess, that I, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to enjoy it at this point of my life and journey in Christ uh, when I was younger because I grew up in a tribe that, that didn't, they believed in the Holy Spirit, but they were very, uh, uh, I think, maybe suspicious. So they kind of preferred to keep the Holy Spirit in third place, like if you had standings of the Trinity. And, and maybe he was a Hall of Famer for sure. Like he'd done some great things in the past, uh, but his playing days were behind him. And so we acknowledge the Holy Spirit and, and give thanks to God for the Holy Spirit, but, but we're not really sure what to do with the Holy Spirit at this point. And I wasn't either. So it really was until uh, I was in my 20s, in real, like probably like about 20 years old, that I started looking around and I noticed that there seemed to be people that had a, uh, an octane. My, my spiritual life was kind of lived out through the mind at that point of my life. And and the hands, serving a lot and thinking about God a lot. But that, that kind of more passionate, driven, energetic uh, side, I noticed people around me seemed to have that. Uh, and I would stand there and I'd watch people with their hands in the air and I'd watch people saying things out loud in the service saying, praise God to do this and that. And I thought to myself, what is wrong with these people? Like, you know, I mean, I've, I've thought that before, but I never said it. I never did it. I never never clap, never raise my hands, and try not to, you know, laugh or do anything that expressed joy in church. Um, I say that with some, some jest, but I kind of, I, I was like, what is, what's going on there? What am I missing? And so I would go through uh, kind of my struggle with it and trying to analyze it the way that I tended to approach things at the time. And then I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to get around some of these people who are like that and see what it is that causes them to be the way they are. And what I realized was that some of the things that, that I'd been warned about were, were, were there, um, but also there were some things that I'd been warned about that weren't really a problem, that 
that really what I was seeing were people that said, I, I want to live my life with the wind of God at my back. Uh, I, I want to live a life that is lived in courage and boldness. And it does work hard for the Lord in a certain way, but it's, it's, it's driven by something different. It's driven by their, there's a spiritual power source that goes with, um, with, with the way that I'm living. And so what I tried to do is spend some more time dwelling on the verses that I had memorized that, that involved the Holy Spirit, looking to Scripture. Okay, what does the Holy Spirit do in the Bible? Why is it that Jesus says that it's good that he should go for until he does the counselor can't come to us and, and abide with us and live in us as he does. I mean, what could be better than Jesus walking next to you? It's Jesus inside you, he seems to say. So I go, okay, let's spend some time thinking about this. And, and the more I, I, I started dwelling on it, the more I realized, okay, there's a whole level of spirituality that I haven't really explored yet. You know, it's a little like the wardrobe at Narnia. I was living in one world, and then there was another one. And behind it was all the stuff I'd heard about in sermons that I thought the preacher was lying about or exaggerating about. Things that, you know, places where people did uncommon acts of courage or boldness or witness or you saw results that did, were not proportionate to what, what had actually happened. And you saw these kind of miraculous things going on and not really knowing where it where, how it happened or where it came from and, and all of these kinds of things. And, and it opened up mystery to me. And so I realized, okay, the Holy Spirit's not like Moses or David or Joseph, like a kind of a character in the Bible that, that used to exist and doesn't now. But the Holy Spirit is something I'm supposed to be living by and, and empowered by. So this morning, our good brother Paul has some good words for us. We're going to be in Romans 8. And this is a little two-parter on Romans 8. Series within the series, all right? as we head toward Easter here in just a few weeks. But we hear the words of our brother Paul saying, to set our minds on the Holy Spirit is life and peace. The Holy Spirit is God's flame, God burning in us, empowering us to live faithfully until Christ comes again. We've heard how the gospel is kind of set us free from the, the law of sin and death, to live by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the foundation for then our entire life in Christ what Christ accomplishes through the cross makes this possible, the indwelling power and presence of God in our lives. And the Holy Spirit then becomes, in part, the evidence that believers are in Christ, that the power of sin has been broken by, uh, by the power of the Spirit. The power of sin has been broken in their lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8, 5 to 8. For those who live according to the flesh... Set their minds, you can, by the way, every time this comes up today, you can underline set, our mind, set their minds. That's the key phrase all day long. Set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So he says, we who are in Christ set our minds on the Spirit. And he contrasts two ways of living. You got focusing on the flesh and focusing on the Spirit. Now that phrase there, setting the mind, you heard it four or five times there in just that little clip. All right, that's a key phrase, it's one that Paul loves 
and one that really helped me with this whole idea of the Holy Spirit and what it meant. So we don't do a ton of Greek, but we're going to do a little this morning, all right? So bear with me. It'll pay off, I hope. These two Greek words that he uses to set the mind and setting our minds, okay, are distinctively Paul's. 23 of the 26 times in the New Testament, the word phroneo is found, and it's found on the lips of Paul. In all four New Testament occurrences of phronema, to set the mind, okay, comes in this chapter. Now, we might think to set the mind is like some sort of intellectual activity, but it's way different than that, or deeper than that. It is wholehearted focus, it's dogged determination, it is intellectual, but it's also passion, it's spiritual, it's unequivocal focus, all right? So we all have a phronema, if you will. And Paul's saying that those who follow Christ have uh, the spirit as their phronema, those who follow the flesh have that as their phronema. Examples of phronema. I remember as a, as a young boy when I finally caught the baseball bug, I was four or five years old. The park I played at was near to my house. And it was back in that era when parents would free range their kids all the time. It was kind of like you'd, you'd go out the front door in the morning and you were just told to be back when the street lamps came on and they hoped for the best. There were no cell phones, there was no nothing. You were out riding your bike, doing whatever, causing trouble. And I would, I would, I would I'd had a game, say at two o'clock, I would show up for the nine o'clock game. And I would sit there and I would watch the games and I would eat ballpark food, and I wanted to see how everybody else played. I wanted to, to do that, and then I'd play my game, and if there was a game after, I'd stay after, and I'd do that because I wanted to be a good player, but I was interested in it. I was focused on it. I wanted to get better. I cared. I found it interesting. It was, I was fascinated with it, right? That's kind of phronema. It's what occupies your mind, your passions, right? It's what you're thinking about. When I was in college and I was introduced to coffee, for real, as a drug, not as a, a drink, but as something that could keep you awake when you had not done well at going to bed on time. And I got to finals and I really, really needed the grades. I needed to smoke the finals, but I was too tired to stay awake and study for them. And so I finally got the idea, I gotta do whatever I have to do to get the ability to stay up physically. And so I got a, a, a can of coffee grounds and I ate it with a spoon to stay awake, okay, because I needed to stay awake to study for the finals. Phronema, you see what I'm saying? Focus, I will do this. I am thinking about nothing else. My first year of graduate school, this redhead comes into the church office, asks if we have any jobs available. In my mind, I'm thinking we have an opening for wife and mother, if you're interested. Her name is Emily, she's my wife of 21 years now, right? But at that moment, I had a new phronema, right? So guys and gals, you have a phronema when you're in, in that age group or whatever, and when, you, when, when all you can do is think about them or what they're doing or, oh, they haven't called me back yet or whatever. You see what I'm saying? It, it's a preoccupation. That's the word. It's not just, hey, you know, can you... Uh, uh, give God a nod about every, you know, three, four weeks by going to church. or Oh, no, no, no. He's saying, you have a phronema. The question is, is it the flesh or the spirit? He doesn't seem to think that there's a continuum either. It's either the flesh or it's the spirit. But for those who have a phronema, that is the flesh, whatever it may be, that leads to death. 
Those whose phronema is the spirit, that leads to life and peace. Oh, life and peace. That sounds good. Life and peace. Certainly sounds better than death. So if those are the choices on the table, I pick life and peace. All right? So Paul gives us this, saying, set your minds on the Spirit. And I think in hindsight, particularly, and it's still a struggle, it's not like this is one you conquer and you never have to think about again, uh, that there's always something competing for phronema status. Always. Significant other. Job. Uh, cash crunch. Um, uh, world events. COVID. Whatever. Your, your favorite hobby. Recreation. Um, food. Sex. Whatever. Your phronema is whatever it is that captivates your imagination and your time. And so what ends up happening a lot, and I see this happen a lot with Christians who just kind of walk away from the faith over time, is instead of realizing, okay, my phronema has drifted, I'm setting my mind on things now that do not matter very much and ultimately will lead me down a path toward death, they go, well, that means that the phronema over here doesn't have much life and peace in it, and I'm finding all my life and peace over here. No, no, no. It's like, uh, oh, turkey bacon, right? It looks like bacon in the package, but on the palate, it doesn't taste like bacon. Everybody, can we all admit that? Okay, good, good. We have some truth tellers in the room, all right? Now, it may be better for you in your mind or whatever, but it, it's not bacon. Okay, the impossible burger, right? It looks like a burger. It's labeled even burger on the side, but it's impossible that that's a burger, right, is what you're thinking. That's another example. So you get all these alternative phronemas put over here. What college you're going to get into? What you're going to do with your life? How do I get the advantage here? Oh, oh you know, we got layoffs coming at the office, so we got whatever. And, and then the mind just starts going over here. And the next thing you know, we realize that's not where I want my mind to be. But instead of saying, okay, I want to take it from there, and I want to get it back on the Spirit of God, what we do is we kind of medicate our phronema. It's like there's a, a syringe with weird stuff in it that allows us to dull the pain. With boredom, social media, that'll take my mind off. And I'll watch the news. You know, hey, I'm going to, how about wine? I'll inject a big syringe or bottle or two of wine. Or I'll do gambling or I'll do whatever. I'll throw my mind to sports. I'll do something to medicate it. And the great favor that Paul does for us is he goes, hey, listen, you will have a phronema. And one of the best things we can do for ourselves spiritually is to keep our minds set on the right thing. Like a golfer standing over a golf ball who's getting ready to swing. Theoretically, they are focused. If you're not, your swing will let you know. Where that ball goes or does not go will let you know. Now, if you get nervous standing over the ball, and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you know what, hey, uh, you know, back leg needs to do this, hands need to be here, this, 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 it can make you almost nervous and you don't hit the ball well that way either. 
But somewhere in there, with practice, you learn how to focus in a way that is totally focused and yet natural. That's the zone. That's where Paul's trying to get us. The zone. The phronema zone. The zone where your mind is set on it and you don't have to, you know, ah, all the time. It's what you want your mind to be set on. It's what your mind naturally focuses on. So even in the Christian world, we'll come up with, with kind of counterfeit phronemas, right? We'll get, we might even talk people into thinking more about their salvation than the Christ who won their salvation. Or on God's blessings rather than God himself. Paul talks about this in Romans 1. People who worship the creation rather than the creator. We might settle for spiritual rather than Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that. It's like settling for a paycheck that is salary-like, but not actually pay or salary, or lovingness, but not love. To settle for spiritual instead of the Holy Spirit is the most subtle and profound downgrade you can make to your life. It's subtle, but boy, is it a downgrade. I mean, it's like, it's like plugging into a wall outlet instead of a nuclear reactor. The difference is astonishing. There was a USA Today article not that long ago that had this headline. These are kinds of things that just scream to preachers. Relationships are the new religion for some. That was the headline. Here's what it said. In the gap between faith and practice are millions of people who will delight in Easter and Passover as holidays, not holy days. Now, have you noticed the similarity between those two terms? Where do you think the word holiday comes from? Think about that one. Holy days and holidays. They say, no, we'll, we'll celebrate as a holiday, just not a holy day. Article continues. They're just as Christian, just as Jewish in their own eyes. In their own eyes. As people who follow traditional scripts, church on Sunday before carving the ham, or the Seder rituals before slurping the matzo ball soup, They've simply redefined their spirituality to center on the people at the table. They've simply redefined their spirituality to center on the people at the table, shared time, shared values with their nearest and dearest. In Denver, Ambra Vibron will enjoy an Italian feast with cousins that Sunday, but she says, my spiritual life is in hiking, skiing, kayaking, and enjoying God's creation. It's a stretch to recall, she says, when she last went to church. Okay. Now, I don't want to beat up on her because there are a lot of people that think that way. And in some ways, at least she does tip the hat to God in some way, shape, or form. But she does say, my spiritual life is in hiking, skiing, kayaking, and enjoying God's creation. It sounds eerily like Romans 1. Worshiping the creation rather than the creator. It's in a national newspaper, so it's not a big secret. I'm not, you know blowing the publicity on this or something. This is USA Today. It's like the third most subscribed to newspaper in the country. But I would, I would want to say to her, Ambra, be careful because that is a very fragile, weak spirituality. And it works in Denver. It doesn't work in Des Moines. You can't hike in Des Moines or Barstow. I guess you could. Be pretty lame, just flat and dusty. 
but no mountains there. And what my experience has been in the faith over time has been is that God has a way of removing idols. And I've watched people, and I'm not going to say I'm going to struggle with this myself sometimes, when my phronea gets mixed up, sometimes God has a way of saying, well, I'm going to take your baptismal covenant oath at face value, Tim, and you said, not your will but mine be done. So I'm going to take your new phronea and I'm going to remove it. Now you don't have it anymore. Your idol is now gone. And while I squeal about that, God, how could you let this happen to me? He's saying, well, I'm sorry, I thought you were serious about your faith. Isn't that a good thing if you have an idol that I take it away from you? If you really want me to be Lord of your life, then that means when other, the other counterfeits pop up that you gave me permission to knock them down, get rid of them. Well, I'm not saying I don't, you know, that, that, that you're second place, God. I'm just saying that I really, really, really want this thing. And you are definitely right there at the top. Maybe tied for first. You say, no, I don't do second, and I don't do tied for first. I do God. So if you pray for me to be the center of your life, then I'm going to take that. I'm going to answer that one for you, young man. And I've watched people then who, who, who refuse to turn back to God or they don't see the messages he's trying to get through to them end up in a very difficult place spiritually. Because they realize at some point hobbies are not good enough. They're not strong enough for God. Recreation is not strong enough for God. God's creation is not strong enough to be God. It's a reflection of who he is. Family Okay, a gift of God, a way that reflects him like few other things do. That can become its own idol. Where now everything I do is oriented around this kind of idealistic picture of the family that I need to preserve or that I'm interested in because of what it does for me emotionally or whatever. And God's up there going, wait a minute here. Listen, I'm the one who gave those people to you. I'm the one who created family in and of itself. I gave you the life you have the life your spouse has, the life your kids have. And if you will allow me to remain your phronea and set your mind on the spirit, then your family is going to be the greatest blessing you can imagine. But if it turns into child-centeredness or uh, spousal worship of sorts because I'm afraid of losing my significant other, then it gets to turn into a weird spot in the phronea then shifts into a place that's unhealthy. We Americans work hard to try to find meaning in what we think we can find meaning in. We set our eyes on what we want to and then say it provides meaning to us. But Paul is saying not just to set our minds on what we personally find meaningful because it doesn't sustain. That doesn't sustain. More importantly, it's out of step with the spirit. April 17th is coming up. That's Easter Sunday. It's also our 11th anniversary as a church. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, I know, exactly. And it's not the same as Super Bowl Sunday. Easter is not like Super Bowl Sunday. It is not like the 4th of July. 
It comes with a very specific confession that we believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, that he rose from the grave, and that that has implications on every aspect of our lives. And that the same spirit, as Paul's going to say in a second, that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. Okay, that's the confession. That's different than, hey, we're thankful for our national freedom, or hey, you know, uh, go Chargers or whatever. No, uh, I was talking about Super Bowl Sunday, so that wouldn't involve them. But, but like the Raiders or somebody else or the Patriots or somebody, right? It's a different day. Do you understand? March Madness. Yeah, exactly. Hey, St. Peter's, how about them? Yeah, March Madness is uh, something, right? Or you can go uh, right now, it's like, hey, I want to get home and watch March Madness. Okay, I, I think that's kind of a fairly natural thing for human beings to experience. It doesn't mean your whole spiritual life is a sham. All right, but what you have to be careful of, and if you really want to know something, here's a little trick I've noticed on mine. You know, the iPhone now will tell you how much time you spend on your phone. Go a layer down into where you've spent your time on your phone. Now, that is where the gold is. So it'll send you the shame text message of the week. This week, you averaged five hours and 17 minutes a day on your phone. You're like, oh, and most people just go, I'm going to do better next week, and they move on. Oh, no, no, no. Go mine that sucker. Get that thing, go in there and find out what, was it social? News? Phronea. Phronea. Phonea. I should have thought of that earlier. There you go. It's your phonea. Right? But where, what is it that you're spending your time on? Where's your mind going? What are you feeding? And what, it, what is it that's going to keep your mind set on the spirit? Uh, let's reread 8, 6, and 7 again. For to set the mind of the flesh is death, to set the mind of the spirit on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now, the Holy Spirit, he goes on to say, is not just an inspiration in times of trouble. He's supposed to be the air on which we depend, the center of our lives. And if he isn't, then he's kind of saying, if you're not doing that, then you're, you're feeding your flesh which Paul says can't submit to God, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And that sounds way, way, way better. All right. So we can talk about how now and how do we do that exactly. And um, we can certainly talk about what we feed our minds. We kind of just did that with the, the phone thing. And so pay attention to that. What are you watching? How much time do you spend doing that versus other things that allow you to kind of keep your mind focused or in, in filtering out things that might damage that? Uh, but let's go another layer down. If you really want to have access to the Holy Spirit's power in ways that are uncommon, try doing things that, that actually require the Holy Spirit's power. Um, we just replaced these old fluorescent bulbs over the counter in our bathroom. There's three of those big, long, old-school fluorescent tubes. And we ordered two. There's three of them, though. So we have one that's not been replaced and two that have been replaced. And they use different amounts of power. So the one that starts, the, the little box that brings the electricity in starts bringing in electricity at a certain rate, but one of them doesn't need the same amount of power as the other ones or it's drawing too much, one of the two. And so now if you go in, it's like a flickering neon kind of thing in our bathroom, right? So... I try to avoid having a seizure in the morning while I'm <laughs> doing whatever. But you do it and you realize, okay, these are requiring different amounts of things, okay, of electricity. 
power. Uh, there is a difference between plugging in a hairdryer and like plugging a Tesla into your house. Different amounts of electricity. So many people make a conscious decision to not do things that actually require dependence upon God. And the reason is, things that require dependence upon God require, they bring with them uncertainty. They bring often fear. That's scary. Uh, it feels risky. And it feels like I'm out of control. And in general, we don't like feeling like we're out of control. But one of the wake-up calls for me was when I looked at where the Holy Spirit popped up in the New Testament, it was almost always where something unusual was being required of the person, particularly boldness. In Acts 4, when the church prays that they will get up and speak the word of God with boldness, the Holy Spirit comes in the room and fills them with boldness, and they go forward and they witness. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he goes, and he speaks with boldness. Or they're wanting, Jesus goes out into the desert, full of the Holy Spirit, goes out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And he didn't eat for 40 days, and after that, he was hungry, it says. But there are people doing things that, that require extra power. And most of us, we kind of gauge it, well, God is with me if I'm not worried about anything, if I have all my needs met, and if, in general, my life is on a good trajectory, as I define it, then God must be pleased with me. And if any of that gets messed up, then we assume God is now not with me anymore. Why has God forsaken me? Why has God not done this? I, I'm going to say, instead of sitting there and reacting to everything that, that happens to you in life, Christians are supposed to be different. We're supposed to have a very clear sense of who it is that is active in the world and who's stronger than whom. And so we believe that the Holy Spirit has the power to move us forward and to give us whatever it is that we need to honor God in our daily life and to take the hills that God calls us to uh, do. And as the church advances against the gates of hell, they're the ones that are in trouble. It's the gates of hell that are in trouble, not us. Right? So that's the mentality shift. I don't sit around going, oh, no, how do I avoid doing anything that's risky, doing anything that actually requires God. I go look and God, where do you want me to go? I'm available. We as a church are available. Where do you want to send us? What do you want us to do? How do you want us to serve the community around us? How do you want us to reach the people around us? How do you want to sanctify our lives? How do you want to do, and so those are the kinds of prayers then when you pray them, they are dangerous. Because he may listen, and he may answer. And when that happens, then you're going to get called out into things that are not uh, just standard old run-of-the-mill life stuff. You're going to get called into things that you had no idea you were going to get called into. But yet the good news is, you're going to be able to do things that you couldn't do otherwise. Because the Holy Spirit is, is doing that. So there's this kind of synergistic thing that goes on. Well, how do I... How do I live by the power of the Spirit? You ask for it, and you set your mind on the Spirit. And as you do, then you begin to do things that actually demand and require the Spirit's power, which leads you further into life in the Spirit. So you get the power that God provides when you ask for it, and you submit yourself to it, and you're setting your mind on the Spirit. And then as you do, God gives you more of the Holy Spirit as you're going, right? So when it's all done, 
like kids who would never slide in baseball because they want to get their uniform dirty and they didn't want to risk getting a strawberry. They never slid and they never knew. And so as a result, they would never try to, they wouldn't try to get the extra base because they didn't want to have to slide at the end. And they never knew what it was like to actually fling your body into the air head first, get in there and have some dude smack you in the head with, with their glove in a sweep tag and have them go safe and have the whole place go bananas. But their uniform stayed clean. And they never got any strawberries. <laughs> and they were crummy teammates. They really were. Soft. Players out were there and they kind of liked playing the game. But they liked it in a different way. I, when we talk on staff about what we want people to be able to do on staff here. I want us to play with the, the proficiency of a professional, but the love of an amateur. Don't ever stop sliding. <laughs> like, have fun doing it, and then do it really well. Like, the proficiency of a professional with the love of an amateur, that's where our faith ought to go. Like, I want to be able to follow God in almost any, any place he would take me. You need me to go preach somewhere across the world, I want to go. If you want me to uh, do X and Y and Z for my family, I want to I do it. You know, you want me to sacrifice, I want it. Okay, you want to you pray those kinds of prayers, and then say, because I know, God, that you're going to give me whatever it is that I need to do what you want to do with my life. That is called faith. It's not, God, I'm worried you may, not, you may not come through. So I'm going to kind of put my life in a, oh, I, I use the, I think at 9 o'clock, um, the, the, the thought was 10.30 in the morning on a spring day. You're at home and you require no electricity in your house. You have all the light you need. It's neither hot nor cold. You're already out of the shower, blow-dried your hair. You literally need no electricity. And everybody tries to stay there. 10.30 on a spring day. That's where everybody generally wants life to be. Okay? Is that wrong? I don't know that it's wrong. As long as somebody is willing to live outside of 10.30 on a spring day. If you think to yourself, when the summer comes, there must not be a God anymore. That's a problem. Or if your goal in life is to live life in such a way that you never have to turn the air conditioning on. Or that it never gets hot, never gets cold, you're never tired, you're never upset, you're never whatever. And those are the, the real drivers to your life. That's where the problem comes in. Because what will end up happening is God is going to take you to places, if you let him, that you're going to be all of those things. And if, it, if you're like Paul, you're going to be shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, thrown in jail, whatever the case may be. And you know what? The guy was never happier. I know that's counterintuitive. But the reason he's happy is because he knows he's walking in step with the Spirit. And so the joy that only comes as a fruit of the Spirit was abundant in his life. To go back to the baseball diamond, this is a guy that you get the sense when he was done, had, you know, bloody elbows and, you know, chunks of grass hanging out of his helmet. And I mean, just he was a complete mess, but he was the guy that was smiling the biggest on the team. 
And I, I look at the life of Paul like we did at MBU last week, and we, I'm just sitting there going, what an amazing dude. This guy goes from one jail cell to a shipwreck, to an arrest, back to jail, doing whatever, and writes about joy the whole time. Sings in jail. Because he lives under the motto, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Either way, I'm with Jesus, and that's what brings me joy. Now that, sisters and brothers, that doesn't just preach. That lives. And Christians have been living on it now for thousands of years. If you want to know what your rival phroneas are, ask yourself this question. I'm going to give you two questions to ask. Number one, what is your number one personal goal? I don't mean the one you wish you had, the one that actually is driving you right now. Is it to have enough money to retire? Is it, I want my kids to get into this college? Is it, whatever, okay, what, what is your number one personal goal outside the spiritual realm, okay? Second one, what is your number one favorite thing to do? Like, if you have a weekend to yourself, money's no object. The thing that, that you go, that is what I love to do. That's my deal, my thing. There they are. Those are your two rivals. Okay? That doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they're potential rivals. So you need to know that they're there. If it's, man, I love binge watching television, or man, I love... You know, like our friend in the USA Today article, hiking and kayaking and doing all that. All that's good. Those are gifts of God, right? But they're not God. They can't be. They can't be phroneas. They have to be put into perspective. Romans 8:11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, who dwells in you. And then, because I'm almost out of time, we're just going to read the text because it speaks for itself. 8, 12 to 17, listen to what he writes. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all of you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let me hit pause, leave that slide up. It means the Holy Spirit is the one who cries out to God on your behalf. Okay? Your love for God and everything is driven by the Spirit of God. So all the more reason why he needs to be your phronea. That, he drives that engine as well. Next, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Um, we'll, we'll stop here, but let me add this to the mix. Prayer, Bible study, worship, fellowship, communion, confession, fasting, giving, all are ways to get in step with the Spirit and stay in that zone. And we'll talk more about it next week when we do the second half of Romans 8. But it always begins, sisters and brothers, with surrender. Resurrendering on a daily basis. God, I want you to be my phronea. I want you to be what I set my mind on. God, my mind's been over here for the last three months, three years, three decades. 
set my mind over here and keep it here. Keep it here. Keep it here. Right? And then see what happens. Invite him to do what he will do with your life. And my guess is you will be amazed at what happens. May God bless the hearing of his word. This time we're going to take communion. And uh, if you didn't get the elements, go ahead and raise your hand. We've got a few down in front here. Um, if you got the elements, go ahead and get them out. If you didn't, just do one of these deals and we'll bring it to you. We take communion each week and we do so in memory of Jesus Christ, the one who showed us what life completely filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. I want to be like him when I grow up. I want to be just like him. Bold, patient, courageous, meek, gentle, fierce, dead and resurrected. All that. Father, now as we take communion, we say we want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We want to share in his sufferings, conform to his death. So now, Lord, as we take communion, we pour out our lives to be filled with your spirit. Father, for those of us who need a new phronea this morning, we ask that you set our minds on the spirit where there is life in Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name.